Have you ever been so lost that you couldn't find your way? All right, I saw some of those nods, so maybe y'all can relate to a story of mine way back in the second grade. I got separated from my family, shopping for some jeans down the road at the VF factory outlet in Sulphur Springs. See, we walked in and my family, they went to the right, but not knowing this, I went this way. It was not my intention to separate, but there I was, lost, alone, in my family nowhere. I was in a state of panic for two hours or more. Man, I was so scared. Did my family forget about me? I was wondering, do they even care? Until my mom heard me crying and came around the corner and found me just sitting there. But the lostness that I want to talk to you about today is not this separation from your family for one hour, two, or three. It's on a whole nother level. Man, I hope you see lostness is separation from your creator for all eternity. Man, it's so crazy. I don't know if we get too busy or we just stay so lazy, but we don't even take the time to see what it is that people really need. We just stay so focused on the me, me, me that we forget that this lostness exists here in our community. And that's why today we are lacing up our shoes and eating a lunch at no cost to go walk the streets and share the good news to the lost. And that good news is the gospel. Yes, the gospel. It's the full story of life crushed into a few minutes. The entirety of humanity in the palm of your hand crushed into one sentence. God, our sins, paying everyone life. Listen, because it's intense, right? The greatest story ever told that's hardly ever told, God. Yes, God. The maker and giver of life, and by life I mean any and all manner of substance seen and unseen. What can and can't be touched, thoughts, image, emotions, love, atoms, and oceans, God. All of it, his handiwork. One of which Paul says that God calls his masterpiece. Made so uniquely that angels look curiously. The one thing in creation that was made in his imagery. The concept so cold is the reason why I stay bold. How God could breathe a breath into man and he became a living soul. Formed with the intent of being infinitely, intimately fine. Creator and creation now sharing an eternal bond. And it was placed in paradise until something went wrong. You see, we got deceived and started lusting for his job. We started complaining as if the system wasn't working. And we used that same breath he graciously gave us to curse him. And that sin seed spread through our soul's genome. And by nature of your nature, your species, you participated in the mutiny. Our, yes, our sins. It's nature inherited. A lack of the human heart, man, it was over even before it started. Deceived from day one and led away by your own lust. There's not a religion in this world that wouldn't agree that there's something wrong with us. The question is, what is it? And how do we fix it? Are we eternally separated from a God that may or may have not existed? Whoa, that's a whole nother subject, so let's keep grinding. Besides, trying to prove God is like defending a lion. Man, it doesn't need your help. Just unlock the cage. 
So let's move on to how this debt can be paid. Short and sweet, the problem is sin. Yes, sin. It's a cancer, an asthma, choking out our life source, forcing separation from a perfect and holy God. And the only way to get back is to get back to perfection. But silly us, trying to pass this course of life without even looking at his syllabus. Man, this is us. Heap up your good deeds, chant, pray, meditate. But all that, of course, is just like spraying cologne on a corpse. Or you could choose to ignore it as if something doesn't stink, but that's like stepping in some dog mess and refusing to wipe your feet. And all of that ends with how good is good enough. Take your silly list of good deeds and try to line them up against perfection, good luck. Because that's life past your pay grade. Man, the cost of your soul, you ain't even got a big enough piggy bank. But you can give it a shot. But I suggest that you just throw away the list because even your good acts are just an extension of your selfishness. But here's where it gets interesting. Man, I hope you're closely listening. Pay attention. Please don't get it twisted because this is where our faith is unique. Here's what God says is part A of the gospel. You can't fix yourself. Stop trying. It's impossible. Sin brings death. So give God his breath back. You owe him. Eternally separated from the only way to fix it is for someone to die in your place. And that someone's got to be perfect or the payment isn't going to be permanent. So if and when you find that perfect person, get him or her willingly to trade their perfection for your sin and death and Well, clearly, since the only one that can meet God's criteria is God, God sent himself as Jesus to pay the cost for us. His righteousness, his death, it functions as payment. Yes, payment. Paying the price for sin. Jesus died and then he rose again. He wrote a check with his life, but at the resurrection, we all cheered because that meant that the check cleared. Pierced feet, pierced hands, blood-stained, son of man, fullness, forgiveness, free passage into the promised land. That same breath that God breathed into us, God gave it up so he could redeem us. And anyone and everyone, and by everyone, I mean everyone who puts their faith and trust in him alone can stand before the throne in full confidence of God's forgiveness and eternal life. Here's what the promise is, that you are guaranteed full access to return the perfect unity by simply believing in Christ. In Christ, you are receiving life, yes, life. The world can't offer anything better Life with Jesus could start today, but it lasts forever. God, our sins, pain, everyone, life. Man, that right there was the good news gospel, right? That's why today we're lacing up our shoes and eating lunch at no cost so we can go walk the streets and share the good news to the lost. I'll say it again. That's why today... We're lacing up our shoes and eating lunch at no cost so we can go walk the streets and share the good news to the lost.
Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. I sing this strong. Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but only trust in Jesus' name. Sing Christ Stand before the throne. 
This morning I want to share with you from Matthew chapter 5. And the way this is going to go, I'm going to share from Matthew 5, and we're going to move into a time of application and response. But, but turn with me to Matthew 5. And, and when we open this book, we see something really unique. Jesus, for the first time in the Gospel of Matthew, is entering into this long series of teaching. And it's what's famously known as the Beatitudes. It's this Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to read these, we're going to see what Jesus said, and we're going to translate that and and see what it says to us. It says, Jesus saw the crowds when he was up on the mountain, he sat down, and his disciples came to him. Verse 2, he opened his mouth and taught them, and he said these words. Verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Look at this instruction. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You see the word that Jesus is giving us there? He goes through and he describes the interior state of the Christian. He says, you want to be blessed? You want to experience the blessing of God? This is what you look like on the inside. You're meek. You're humble. You're, you're, you're burdened for righteousness. You, you long for it. This, this is what you want the characteristic of your life to be. Not that you be well known, not that you be famous, not that you be rich, not even that you have a, a healthy and vibrant family, but that you be righteous. That you hunger for it, that you thirst for it. Jesus said, if this is what you want, if this is what you want the inside of your life to look like, then you are blessed. Now look what he says to them. So he's run through this list of interiors. He's, he's run through this, this is what your heart should look like. This is how your heart should beat. This is how your heart should cry out. Verse 13, he comes to them and he says, if this is who you are, then you are the salt of the earth. He says, if this is what you look like on the inside, then you're the salt of the earth. He says, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Jesus moves through. He describes these beatitudes that we memorize as children that we say over and over and over again, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek. He turns to the disciples, he turns to all of us as Christians, and he says, you are the salt of the earth. 
Now, there are a couple of properties of salt that, that, that we have in our mind that they had in their mind which are competing against one another. Now, when Valerie and I lived in Prague, the salt, for whatever reason, was not very potent. It was, I don't know, it was mixed with just white crystals or something. And so when it came to salting, where it would normally take a tablespoon, you're using a cup of this stuff on french fries. I mean, if you like salty stuff, and I do, then in order to get your french fries to be salty enough, you had to crunch salt. I felt like I needed to get my dad to send me over a salt lick for cows from the U.S. so that I could sit there, eat french fries, lick the salt block. Eat french fries, lick the salt block. The salt was worthless. Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth. Their primary concern wasn't using salt as an additive to food for flavor's sake. They did use it for that. They didn't have refrigeration. You go to Walmart, you buy a package of steaks, you buy some ribs, you buy some chicken, you go home, where do you put it? In the fridge, in the freezer. You put it in the freezer, I don't know where Justin's putting it, he puts it in his, never mind. And so you go out and and, and you're going to seek to preserve it, but you're going to do so with refrigeration, whether it's in the fridge or the freezer, depending on when you're going to use it. They want to preserve meat, they're going to coat it with salt. They're going to take that meat, they're going to lay it out, they're going to take salt, and they're going to rub it into that meat, and it is a preserving agent. It is delaying decay. It is working against death and decay. It is making that meat useful for the long haul. Now Jesus says of us, Christian, you are the salt of the earth. This is your interior, but the exterior reflection of your Christianity is being the salt of the earth. The exterior reflection of your Christianity is going to your neighbors who are dying, who are decaying flesh, who are lost, and the salt of the gospel is coming out of your life and onto their lives, and you are preserving them through the power of the gospel. That is the call of the Christian, is to be salt and light in our homes, in our schools, in our neighborhoods. The call of the Christian is when we come across people that are dying, that don't have the gospel inside of themselves, they don't have the life of Jesus vivifying their flesh, making them alive, making them preserved for eternity. We come into them who are dying men. We come into them whose flesh is falling off their bodies, and the salt of the gospel comes out of us and into their lives, and it preserves them through the power of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. This is our calling. This is who we are. We're not primarily good people, moral people, people who pay our taxes, people who don't speak, people who dress the right way, talk to the right people, and date the right girls. We are people who are salt, and we are salt in our neighborhoods. We are salt in our communities. If we're anything else, if we're anything else, look what he says. He asks this question, he says, But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? Now, salt can't lose its taste. Salt can be impure. Salt can be diluted, but it cannot lose its saltiness. He's not talking about loss of salvation. He's talking about people who are not acting in accordance with what they already are. 
It says people not acting in accordance with what they already are. And so if Justin is a Christian and Justin is salt of the earth and he's not moving and working in his neighborhood, if the gospel's not pouring out of his life and onto his friends and his family and those lost people that he knows, he has lost or he is acting as if he has lost his saltiness. He's acting as if the gospel isn't the primary governing issue of his life. He's acting as if the gospel doesn't guide and direct the course of his life. When I act that way, I'm doing the same thing. Man, when I encounter lost people, and I'm more worried about keeping my schedule. I'm more concerned with, with not sm- smelling like cigarette smoke or, or, or getting caught up in the difficult nuances of their life. If I'm more preoccupied with, with the direction, the trajectory of my schedule, then I'm acting as if I'm worthless. I'm acting as if those interior things in my life demand no exterior action, and I'm acting in contradiction to the gospel. And that's why Jesus speaks and he says, look, if this is how you act, if this is the reflection in your heart, then you're acting in such a way as to be worthless. And you might read the second half of 13 and say, if I'm not following the commands of the gospel, then I'm still good for people to walk on me. And that's serving a function. Because we read the second half of this and he says, he says it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And you say, see Matt, I've got a purpose. I don't share the gospel, but he does say that I'm good enough to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And everybody likes a good path to follow. <laughs> and that's my purpose. I'm a path maker. Matt, we all know that salt kills grass. I'm just showing people the way to walk. See, the argument he's making here is that if you aren't moving forward with the gospel, if it's not so deeply saturating in your life that you're actually acting in opposition to what you are. Remember I talked last week and it was... At a second Timothy, and Paul said, I fought the good fight. He said, I finished the race. And he said, I kept the faith. He said, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Now it's not in Paul's action of fighting well, of finishing the race, and of keeping the faith that declared him righteous. Jesus' death and Paul's acceptance and submission to that, that is what declared Paul as righteous. Paul was acting in accordance with what he was already declared to be in fighting and running and keeping the faith. Friends, we flip over to Matthew 28. Matthew 28, Jesus gathers with the disciples on the mountaintop and he says to them, and all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Everything is in submission to Jesus. He is king of everything. Nothing happens that he doesn't will to happen. And this is his response on the basis of that. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus departs, but he is with us interiorly. Jesus departs, but he calls us to go boldly. Jesus departs, but he leaves us instruction. He says, go forward with the gospel. Go forward boldly with the gospel, leading them in salvation, leading them in faith. But when they have come to faith, you don't stop there. When they have come to faith, you pour out your life, you show them 
what it is to be a disciple. You show them what it is to walk in the fullness of the gospel, what it is to walk in salvation. You disciple them. You continue to pour out your lives. And so the question before you and before me today, will you act in accordance with what you are? Will you behave like salt? Will you follow in obedience to the call of Jesus' life to be salt in Greenville, Texas? Will you follow in obedience to Jesus Christ to be salt at L3, to be salt in a dentist office, to be salt as a truck driver, to be salt as a lawyer, to be salt as a worker in home, to be salt in all of your family life? Will you follow in obedience to Jesus Christ to be salt where he has planted you? As we move into this time of application, the question before you is will you behave in the way that you are called Will you resemble what you are? Will you be obedient to the thing Jesus has placed before you? Follow his calling. Will you forsake all others? Will you take up your cross and follow him? And it would be a tragedy for me to turn Sing this to the Lord. I give.
Yeah.